Uh, have you ever heard a record or a cassette play backwards? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, in the 1950s, a young U.S. Air Force cadet was stationed in Germany. And one evening, after he finished up an eight-hour shift of listening in on the Russians in the radio intercept room, he returned to his barracks only to discover that someone had been messing with his tape player machine. Well, to, to see if it was still working, he put in one of his tapes and he pressed play. Yet when he did, to his surprise, out came the strangest, most haunting sound. There was an eerie drone of weird corn cha chord changes. He said it sounded like some sort of spooky church music. Well, confused, he played it over and over again, trying to figure out what was going on. And then finally, he solved the puzzle. He, he put the tape in the wrong way, which meant he was hearing the guitar chords played backwards. However, the, the drone of those weird chord changes stayed with him. Indeed, they didn't just stay with him, but they actually became the melody inspiration for one of the most well-known songs of all time. Do you know who the artist is? Johnny Cash. And can you guess what the song is? I Walk the Line. As, as many of you know, Cash wrote that song backstage after being married as a pledge of devotion to his wife, right? Since you are mine, I walk the line. And we all know what he means, right? When he sings, I walk the line, he is pledging to walk in a manner worthy of his marriage commitment. Since you are mine, I walk the line. He, he's pledging to walk in a manner worthy of his marriage commitment. The irony is he didn't. A few years later, after he wrote that song and it became a number one hit, he committed adultery and eventually married June Carter. This morning, we're going to be studying Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Uh, earlier in this book, in this chapter, back in chapter 1, verses, and earlier in the chapter, verses 1 through 3, you'll recall that, that Paul urged believers, all Christians, to do something, and that is he urged us to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Remember this? In, in chapter 4, uh, a big shift takes place in the book of Ephesians. Paul goes from expounding upon the glories of what God has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, these wonderful truths that ought to make our hearts sing. He goes from talking about doctrine, the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He goes from doctrine to duty. He focuses on our conduct. Paul wants all Christians, he wants our conduct 
the way we live our lives, to match the weight and the, and the glory of our calling. That is, the, the output of our conduct should match the input of the blessings we've received in Christ. The very blessings Paul elaborated on in chapters 1 through 3. Well, after giving attention to Christian maturity in the previous section, here in verses 17 through 24, Paul once again returns to this important task of walking in a manner worthy of our calling. And here's why. You see, Faith, Paul doesn't want us to be like Johnny Cash. He doesn't want us to proclaim, yea, even sing, much like we do here on Sunday mornings, that in regards to our relationship with God, we walk the line, but don't. He, he wants us to be faithful, to have our lives mirror and reflect in righteous behavior the salvation we've received in Jesus Christ. He wants our creed to match our conduct. So what does this practically look like? In light of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, chosen us before the foundation of the world, predestined us to adoption, redeemed us by His blood, forgiven us of our sins, given us an inheritance, raised us to new life, shown us mercy, granted us access to the Father, brought us near, made us one, made us God's workmanship, in light of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. How should we walk? How should we live our lives? Indeed, how can we be found faithful in our walk? Well, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul addresses in our text this morning. So if you haven't already, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. That's page 978 in that paperback Bible in the seat in front of you. And I invite you to follow along in your copy of God's Word Apostle Paul says this, and, and I, I am getting old. So I'm going, so I'm going to use this so I can actually see. <laughs> yes, here, we've come to that point, people. Okay. The Apostle Paul writes this in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. So he, he's reminding us that he's speaking not on his own authority. He's speaking as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. Tell us, Paul, what characterizes their walk? How do they behave? What does that look like? Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. 
No, they're culpable. It's the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart. Notice, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Listen to this. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul says, this is the way the Gentiles, this is the way the pagans live. And he's saying, Christian, those who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, you must no longer walk like them. That must be done away with. You must no longer walk as Gentiles. Okay, Paul, why? Verse 20. Because that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul's saying, no, no, no. When you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you've been given a new way of living. You've learned Christ. And notice, learning Christ, there's, there's some ongoing instruction that is taught. When he says, you were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. This was instruction these believers received when they put their faith in Jesus Christ concerning the Christian life. And what is that instruction that He wants them to press on with? What's in the next verse? Taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, and here it is, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Amen. This is God's Word. His good Word. On a January 9th, 2007, 44-year-old Danny Villegas he entered the Kennedy Space Center Federal Credit Union in South Daytona, Florida. Daytona, Florida. He then casually walked up to the bank teller and said, Good morning. This is a robbery. You might as very well call the police. You know what he did next? He then went and sat down on the couch in the bank lobby and waited patiently for the police to come. That's right, he, he didn't show a gun, nor did he threaten anyone. In fact, employees at the Federal Credit Union told police that Danny was actually extremely polite. You see, although Danny was exceptionally polite and non-threatening, he was very calculated. You see, he intentionally chose to rob a federal bank. And you know why? So he would go back to a federal, pen federal penitentiary. You see, 10 years earlier, 
Danny robbed a bank in Fresno, California, and he was then sentenced to 70 months in a federal penitentiary in Phoenix. And you know what? He enjoyed it. In fact, he enjoyed it so much that he intentionally chose to rob another bank so that he would go back there. True story. Though now free, he kept wanting to go back to his former chains. Now, I've never done hard time. I hope that relieves some of you. (laughs) And my guess is you haven't either. But you know what? In one sense, we've all been in chains before. You see, prior to God making us spiritually alive in Christ, each and every one of us were in bondage. I mean, what what have we learned thus far in Ephesians chapter 2? Indeed, as Paul makes clear in this passage, prior to God saving us, our condition is we are enslaved to sin. We are, as Paul says there, we're greedy for impurity. Outside of Christ... This is our condition, and this is how we walked. And the reality is, Christian, that many times we can be tempted to go back and walk in our old, former, sinful ways, can't we? We can be like Danny. Indeed, as we sing this morning, prone to wander, Lord, what? I feel it, prone to leave the God I what? Love. We have a draw. There can be a tendency for us to go back to these former sinful ways. So notice what Paul says in verse 17. He could not be more clear. For those who have been saved by the grace of God, what does Paul say? In no uncertain terms, Paul says, you must no longer walk in sinful ways. This is what he means when he writes, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's using that term Gentile in the moral sense. So in modern vernacular, we would say, you must no longer walk as a pagan. Indeed, Paul insists that we no longer walk this way. As I mentioned, this is what he's getting at when he testifies in the Lord. He's not urging the Ephesian believers, nor is he urging us on his own initiative. No, his authority comes from the Lord. And why should we no longer walk in sinful ways? Look at what he says there in verse 20, because that's not the way you learned Christ. Look at what he says there again. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him, and we're taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. You see, Faith, you know what Paul is saying? We could summarize his argument with this statement, and that is, if you've learned Christ, leave sinful ways. If you've learned Christ, leave sinful ways. If you've come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, You must no longer walk as you once walked.
as several commentators have pointed out, Paul's language here of learning Christ, it's very unique. I mean, think about it. Normally, a person learns uh, a particular content or they learn a particular behavior, not a person. In fact, that phrase, to learn a person, appears nowhere else in the Bible and has not been traced anywhere else in pre-biblical Greek documents. It's very unique, and Paul is intentionally here when he says you learned Christ. He's using relational language. And Fred, if, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to understand, when, when you become a Christian, you don't just learn about the teachings of Jesus. You enter into a relationship with him. Indeed, this is, this is the one whom we heard the, through the proclamation of the gospel. When you become a Christian, you enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I think it's quite appropriate, before I go any further, can I ask, have you learned Christ? Do you have a relationship with Jesus through faith and repentance? Has there come a moment in your life where you've not only recognized that you're a sinner, but you've owned the fact that you're a sinner and the judgment it deserves, and then not looking within, but looking outside, you've put your trust in what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. That through his sinless life and sacrificial death on the cross and victorious resurrection, you can be forgiven of your sins and be in right with God. Friend, have you learned Christ? For as the rest of Ephesians makes clear, Jesus is the high exalted Son of God who saved us and whom we are called to submit to in every area of our lives. He is our Lord. So we make it our aim to please Him. For notice what Paul writes next there in verse 22. Paul writes, that you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Uh, this is bonus. Uh, remember, previously, we were exhorted in the previous section to speak the what in love? Truth. And now what does Paul say about Jesus? He is what? Truth. This is, again, another example of how as the body of Christ we are called to point one another towards Jesus. As we speak the truth of love, is that biblical truth? Absolutely. But Paul, I think he's connecting some dots here. It's specifically, it's the truth about Christ. And Paul says in verse 22 that when these Ephesian believers, they came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, they learned about him, they heard about him through the proclamation of the gospel, and then they were taught, they were instructed. This is what I think he's getting at when he says, you were taught in him. This refers to the ongoing instruction that happens after you become a Christian. Instruction the Ephesians received in that all Christians need. And what is that ongoing instruction that all Christians need? I believe it's what he spells out for us there in verses 22 through 24. And this I want to suggest to you is how we walk the line. You'll notice in verses 22 through 24, 
Paul mentions three specific actions Christians must put into practice. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled on these several verses. And, and although the three verbs conveying this message in the original language, they're not imperatives, that is, they're not commands, as many commentators have correctly pointed out, I think and I understand that they do carry with them an imperatival force. That's why your translations have to, to, to do this. And I would implore you to take these actions seriously. In fact, I am convinced that a chief cause for why many Christians stay stagnant in their faith, myself included at times, is because I don't take these seriously. So what are we instructed to do? Well, there's three things, as I mentioned, I want to draw your attention to. And the first is this. To, to leave your sinful ways means, number one, you put off your old self. Look again at verse 22. So, so in verses 17 through 19, he says, don't walk as the Gentiles do. And he lists what's characteristic of their, their thinking, their living, their, the hardness of their heart, the deceitful desires. He says, but that's not how you learned Christ. And then he says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And I'm reminded of the story of the young boy who, right before he left to go to summer camp, his mom reminded him, look, young man, make sure you put on a new pair of underwear every day. And have any moms ever said that? I'm quite sure. Well, about halfway through the week, the camp, the boy's camp counselor noticed that he was always the last one to get ready every morning. So the counselor comes and says, hey, I noticed you're the, you're the last one to get ready every morning. Why is that? To which the young boy responded, well, my mom told me to put on a new pair of underwear every day. However, each morning I'm finding it harder and harder to fit the new pair over the ones I'm already wearing. <laughs> the young boy failed to realize that he needed to take off the old underwear before he could put on the new. That is, he forgot that he needed to undress himself of dirty clothes every day. And you know what? Paul doesn't want us to make that same mistake. In a moment here, Paul is going to tell us to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That is, Paul is going to call us to put on Christ-like virtues. However, my experience personally and my experience as a pastor is that many Christians struggle to do exactly that. They have a hard time, for example, being patient, gentle, humble, bearing with one another in love as Paul already mentioned and called us to do in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And I believe the reason why so many Christians find this hard is because they're still wearing the clothes of their old self. 
right? They, they can't put on a heart of compassion because they're still wearing sinful anger. They can't put on kindness because they're still wearing wrath in their hearts towards someone. I mean, go ahead and try it. Try to put on a heart of compassion when you're still wearing sinful anger towards that person. Try to put on a heart of forgiveness when you're still wearing bitterness. You can't. Yet so often we don't put these things off. We don't undress. Because if we're honest, and I'll just... Sometimes we like the way how they feel. Like Danny likes prison. I like the way it feels when I replay in my mind over and over again how my spouse offended me. I enjoy the warmth of gossip and slander. I like, I like the sensation of wearing impurity. Yet Paul calls us to put these off. And practically, this looks like confession and repentance. Right? As you, as you go throughout your day, as you begin your day, and as you move throughout it, that I confess and repent, and I purpose to undress and to take off and move away from these sinful ways. Indeed, in, in the immediate context, Paul hones in on one aspect of the old self that we are to put off. Do you see it there in verse 22? What is it? It's at the very end of the verse. Deceitful desires. Faith, please hear me. Desires drive behavior. This is why when Jesus in Luke 6 talks about the process of change. He goes to the heart. Whatever your heart is treasuring, whatever your heart is desiring, that will animate you and that will drive your behavior. So if you're going to change, it has to happen at the heart level where the desires reside. Desires drive behavior for good or for bad. And notice, this... And this is the chief characteristics of the Gentiles in verse 19. What does Paul say? They are greedy. They're desirous for impurity. We who have been redeemed, who have been adopted, who have been predestined, who have been forgiven, who have been given access to the Father, who have been seated with Christ in the heavenlies, who have been created to be God's workmanship, we as new creations, must do away with these things. Which begs the question, how? how? How can we cultivate new affections? How can we cultivate new desires? Well, one important way is by what Paul writes next, and that is through renewing your mind. Look at verse 23. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. What is it that you have been taught? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And here, verse 23, 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Um, Have you ever been pulled aside by a TSA agent and not allowed to go through security? In fact, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. Have you ever experienced that before? This, this happened to me when I was in college. I was flying back home to California from Chicago, but they almost didn't let me go through security and get on the plane. They pulled me aside. And you know why? Because my driver's license had expired. Now, I must admit, that whole experience of being pulled aside and told you can't go and it was, it was quite shocking. But you know what was the most shocking thing to me about that whole ordeal? That your driver's license expires after several years. <laughs> to my embarrassment, to my embarrassment, I must admit that up until that moment, I thought that once you get a driver's license, nothing more needs to be done. I didn't know that it needed to be renewed. And truthfully, there are many important things that need to be renewed, aren't there? However, I would invite you to consider that nothing is more important to be renewed, Christian, than your mind. Indeed, Scripture repeatedly calls us to renew our minds with the truth of God's Word. And I want to suggest we see the same truth communicated in this passage. Now, some people take the term spirit there in verse 23 to refer to the Holy Spirit. However, notice carefully, the text says the spirit of your mind, not in your mind. It's hard to imagine how God's spirit can be described as belonging to your mind. So rather, I think the more accurate idea that's being conveyed here is we are to be renewed in the attitude, the spirit of our minds, what we're thinking. And notice how this is in contrast to the former self, the way the Gentiles walk. For notice, what's the first destructive trait that the Apostle Paul identifies in the Gentiles, in pagans, in verse 17? It's what? The futility of their thinking. Notice Paul's making an intentional contrast here, isn't he? Verse 17, Now this I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. What's the first thing we learn about how they walk? In the futility of their minds. You who have learned Christ, you have been taught, you've been instructed, what are you to do? You're to renew your mind. As several commentators have pointed out, Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19, you'll notice that it closely follows Paul's sequence of the corrupt nature of humanity in Romans chapter 1. In both texts, there's a a movement from obstinacy towards God to darkness to judgment and then recklessness. But notice, actually in both, It all begins with futile thinking. And as those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, we must not give way 
to futile thinking, but instead renew our minds with the truth of God's word. And just by way of application, I would invite all of us to at some point either today, this week, be intentional and take an inventory of your thoughts. Right? What are you constantly telling yourself? You know, one of the most important things when we're encouraging one another, when we're wanting to speak the truth and love to one another, one of the most important things is that, is that we listen carefully to hear what the other person is saying to themselves. What are they saying to themselves about God? What are they saying to themselves about themselves? What are they saying to themselves about whatever hardship or difficulty they're going through? Many times, it can be futile thinking. God is not, is not present. He's absent in my thoughts. And pride is present. This is why it's helpful to write out your thoughts and to examine them in the light of Scripture. If there's any wrong thinking... We then do what Paul says next. We replace it. We replace it with biblical truth. And that's part of what we see next, and that is to put on the new self. Look at verse 24. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. So if you've learned Christ, since you've learned Christ, leave sinful ways. This, this means you follow through what, what has been taught, what is essential for all Christians to do, and that is to you put aside your old self, we're active in renewing our minds, and then we dress ourselves, we put on Christ-likeness. Uh, Roy Rigels, no relation, uh, was an all-American center for the University of California. He was the captain-elect for the 1929 football team. However, that's not what he's remembered for. On New Year's Day in 1929, the University of California was playing Georgia Tech in the Rose Bowl. And during the game... Oh, there you go. Is that a subtle hint for me to end? Is that what this is? I... I <laughs> message received. <laughs> Roy Rigels. They're playing at Georgia Tech in the Rose Bowl, and during the game, Rigels, he recovers a fumble. In the process, he gets turned around, bumped around, he picks up the ball, and he looks, and there in front of him is an open field, and he starts running as fast as he can, 65 yards towards the goal line. However, he's running the wrong way. One of his teammates, Benny Lam, who was known for his speed, he sees Roy running as fast as he can the wrong way, and he chases after him. And as he's running after him, he says, he's yelling, you're going the wrong way. Stop. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. He doesn't listen. He keeps running and running. till finally, right as he gets to the one-yard line, so that he doesn't score, so the other end, his teammate tackles him at the one-yard line, stops him. 
He, but they're four and out, and when they try to punt the ball back, it gets blocked for a safety, and Georgia Tech takes the lead. And from that moment on, he became known as, yes, Wrong Way Rigel until his death in 1993. Now, as, as Roy's story illustrates, it's important to know where the goal is. You don't want to be running in the wrong direction. But sadly, sometimes Christians can. Faith, please hear me. When it comes to the Christian life, this passage and many others tell us what the goal is. And that is Christ and being changed into His likeness. This is the goal. This is the aim. We are to put on, we are to strive for holiness and righteousness. This Christian, I want to say to you, must be our chief concern. More than our circumstances being changed. More than things going our way. Our greatest concern needs to be conformed to the image of Christ. Yet sometimes, and I'll speak for myself, that isn't my chief concern. Instead of running towards the goal line of Christ-like character, Christ-like character, we can often choose to run towards other goals. Personal happiness, fleeting pleasure, or relief from hardships. And I want to ask us as a church Christian, what would happen if your chief concern was to be more like Jesus and to please Him? What if you were more concerned about honoring Jesus by being patient and forbearing with your spouse rather than trying to get your spouse to change? What if that switch happened? Instead of me focusing on the things my spouse is doing wrong and getting him or her to change, what if I focus on how can I be like Jesus? How can I forbear with them and bring glory and honor to him? What if my chief concern was in a difficult job wanting to please and honor the Lord by being respectful to my coworkers rather than thinking, okay, how can I get out of this job or grumbling and complaining about all the things they do wrong? Kids. Dun, dun, dun. What if you were more concerned about honoring Jesus by living a righteous life rather than making sure you get your way with your siblings? To say it differently, friend, are you living the Christian life like wrong way Rigel? Do you literally need someone to tackle you in love and say, you're going the wrong way? 
every time we talk, all I hear you talk about is how the other person is the problem. All I hear you talk about is relief from this, relief from that. I never hear you concerned about wanting to please Jesus and be made like him. I don't see you wanting to put on the new self. Hear me. I need people to tackle me. I need you because because of indwelling sin, there are many times this isn't my chief concern. I'm inviting you to tackle me. Please don't take that literally, but I'd be easy to take down anyway. But we need each other, do we not? And this is the, this is the brilliance of the church, that God gives us one another to speak the truth in love. Can you imagine with me for a moment what would happen if we all made this our goal? Can you imagine what it would be like to be part of a church where everyone is committing to putting on the new self? That as they make it their aim to have growth and Christian character be their goal, not merely a more comfortable life where everything mostly goes my way. And, and, you, and you know why Paul can say these things? You know why we have the freedom to make this our chief aim and goal? Because our God is the most satisfying thing in the universe. Our God loves us. Our God cares for us. Our God sent His Son to die for us. He knows every detail. He knows every hardship. And as He And as we seek to please Him and to put on the new self in these situations, our Heavenly Father looks down upon us and by His Spirit, He helps us and enables us to walk this way. What encouragement that God just doesn't say, figure it out. But He gives us one another and His Spirit to accomplish this. Let us be a church and let us be found to strive and give effort to being imitators of God, living in holiness and righteousness. Faith, Johnny Cash didn't walk the line in his marriage. He sang about it. He even made money off it. Lots of it. But he didn't. May we, by God's grace and the Holy Spirit's help, be found faithful to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, all for Christ's glory and our good. Amen? Let's pray.